0: to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a Time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc.
1: And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's
0: The Trolltooth Wars. You think it's PJ? I had the script up in front of me. Uh, and you think after like thirty thirty two episodes or whatever, uh, be totally comfortable in introducing the show now. But after you, after you drew attention to my dramatic pause last episode, I now feel incredibly, I, I'm incredibly self conscious about doing it. Oh, I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intention. I'm having a midlife crisis, PJ. A, a mid a mid run crisis. <laughs> um, hey, come to think of it, we are. This is kind of a, like our. Our mid-series moment pretty much like we're 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 are we over the halfway point now would you say uh uh, yeah i guess if you count all the diversions and
1: extra things we've done that are counted technically as being part of the morrison run then yeah i think we might well be what's this our
0: 32nd episode uh yes and of course we had our 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 super secret uh zero hour episode Hmm. By which i mean episode 0 not not 0 hour no we haven't covered wait, 0 was, hour yet that was wait no wait i know this one that was parallax yes yes it was yes i'm learning i mean I'm Slowly <laughs> learning
1: technically it's it's a whole thing extant was involved as well and uh maybe we'll look at 0 hour one of these days <laughs> maybe we'll look at 0 hour.
0: is that is that um Uh, Not to dive too much into it right now. Was that about reigniting the sun or am I getting confused? with? That's final night. That's final night. Sorry. Yeah. There was a a lot happened in the 90s. It's almost like it was a whole decade.
1: Zero Hour is the one that they did very early 90s. I want to say like 1991 or 92 that was basically there to another after the hard reboot of Crisis on Infinite Earth, Zero Hour was sort of the post-crisis soft reboot to try and fix some of the issues that Crisis
0: created. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, okay. Um, Wow. Uh, It's funny, isn't it? Because you do get these kind of um, mini crises, don't you? Like, because... Is there something like uh, Infinite Crisis is kind of like a, a mini crisis, isn't it? Like, it didn't entirely reset things am i remembering that right
1: yes yes you are uh infinite crisis was another soft reboot because zero hour didn't quite fix everything if anything it messed hawkman up even more and then writers had sort of fixed things and then suddenly just i, I don't really understand how but They made a mess of it again, the continuity. It suddenly made absolutely no sense again. Keeping track of DC continuity was a nightmare. So they did Infinite Crisis. And then Final Crisis. DC did Crisis on Infinite Earths and then went a good 14, 15 years of, of not doing a crisis. And then suddenly they're doing a crisis every other year.
0: Yeah, I feel... To be honest, I feel it's the same trap that Marvel fell into... To be honest, I mean not. I mean, obviously, not quite rebooting the whole universe, but it's kind of in the 2000s. They it was a major, major event every year, um, because I guess it was such a such a big, well, not ratings. I just can't think of a better word. Like it, it just it was such good publicity.
1: Yeah, I th- I think the problem we've got these days is you know Marvel are bringing out new events now with the same titles as events that already happened in the 80s and the 90s. DC are doing crisis after crisis after crisis. And I think the reason for that is that the writers who are working in comics now are the writers who were readers back in the 80s and 90s. Because the writers who were around at that time, the 80s and 90s, the, these big event crossover things didn't really start till the 80s with Secret Wars and Crisis on Infinite Earths and, to a lesser extent, Contest of Champions. That's where it starts. So that's why the writers you've got today who grew up with these things keep bringing them back. And and I don't know, maybe a lack of originality in com- in the, the big two with comics is... is um not quite what it is that might be me being a bit too harsh but it just does feel like everything's getting rehashed
0: wait when you say uh you say contest of champions
1: yeah that was a marvel one that came a couple of years before secret wars it was a smaller event but it was an event oh. book
0: yeah i wait are we talking 80s sort of time yeah oh right because didn't they do um the only thing i'd heard of which was like contest of champions i thought that was kind of like a 2000s kind of mini uh, event.
1: Okay, so the first contest of champions pit the had the grandmaster and another mysterious hooded figure choosing basically they captured every single hero on earth and then out of those heroes they ch- each chose two a team of 9 I think it was right. that then fought battles against each other uh basically for the fate of the of the world and then that was 83. 84, maybe even 85 but then in the early 2000s maybe even the very late 90s uh, there was contest of champions 2 which was i believe it was the brood <laughs> had the heroes fighting each other and it, wasn't, yeah. it was which just one on one fights some of which were actually voted for by the fans
0: i was i uh, yeah i was wondering about that whether cuz cuz clearly marvel versus dc set the bar mm. so high when it came to <laughs> letting the audience decide things yeah again it was only certain
1: bouts and it was really weird ones so i think one of the fan vote ones was hulk versus mr fantastic for some reason right um deadpool versus hawkeye and i think maybe the new warriors versus the slingers
0: oh god the slingers yeah Jeez Louise, that's a deep cut. Yeah. Did, did anyone at Marvel... Like, when, when, when the Fangs voted for the New Warriors versus the Slingers, did Marvel Editorial have to go, like, who the hell are the Slingers? <laughs> well, this would have been around the same time that the Slingers book had just come
1: out. So it was when they were trying to push them and, and make them a thing, I think. Can
0: you, PJ... What, what do you think is more likely, that you could name four members of the Hyper Clan or the four members of the well, Slingers? Well, I can name all four members of the Slingers, so... <laughs> well, no, t- Take us home, PJ. Prodigy, Ricochet, Dusk, and Hornet. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. God, what a time to be alive. That was when... Because ve- that spun out of the idea that Spider-Man took on four new identities. <laughs> yeah, for no right. real reason. He was wanted for murder, so he had to
1: stop being Spider-Man. And he got a new suit in the negative zone, which was the Dusk suit, and he became Dusk. But then he thought, if I take on three other identities as well, one for each book I'm starring in, we can turn this into a mini-event.
0: <laughs> oh, God, was, was that it? Again, the same with Reign of the Superman. Yeah.
1: It's because there
0: were four Spider-Man titles.
1: Yep, yeah, at that point, there was Amazing, Sensational,
0: Spectacular,
1: and adjectiveless.
0: My God. <sighs> I honestly, honestly, it's like when you revealed that about the uh, the reign of the Superman or whatever, that blew my mind because yeah, I, I, were you were, were people genuinely expected to collect all four? Was that the idea? People did,
1: like the I Superman really, books yeah. had as well as the issue number, they'd have another number in the corner that told you basically the sequence you should read the, all the Superman issues. I think it was for the year, so like. One of them, it would have like a seven in the in the top left hand corner below the main issue number if it was the seventh Superman book you were supposed to read that year
0: <laughs> I mean this is and uh, people wonder why comics can at times be inaccessible, yeah, like don't get me wrong, I'm sure the stories were great if you were in it and knew it, that's wonderful, but that is such a logistical nightmare. I mean, you know, say that, keep but track. those
1: Spider-Man stories at that point were not that good. Identity Crisis wasn't great. The Slingers weren't great. Superman books at the time, arguably not that great either. Um, yeah, that would have been just after the transformed storyline. And
0: So is that like... Because I, I know about the Identity Crisis, I think I, I read... Maybe in a collected edition, I think I read some of those storylines.
1: It was printed Um, in Astonishing Spider-Man in the UK book. They printed all of it.
0: Yeah, I just... Which is why I'm kind of so grateful in a way that I did have those, as we talked about last episode, listeners, um, the UK Panini Collectors editorial edition, because at least somebody was doing the legwork for me and assembling the stories into some kind of cohesive storyline.
1: Here's the thing with Slingers, though. Obviously, off the back of Identity Crisis, they launched this this book, which was four other people taking on the four identities and teaming up as the Slingers. Issue one of that is the biggest piss-take in terms of variants I think I've ever come across. Because not only did oh it have God. four different covers, one for each member of the Slingers, it would be the whole team, but it would be the one that was prominent front and centre. It was different interiors as well. If you what? if you bought the one, for example, with Ricochet on the front cover, then there would be some pages inside that were telling you Ricochet's story that weren't in the other four versions. If you bought Prodigy's cover, those pages would be devoted to Prodigy. So to get the complete story, you had to buy all four versions of issue
0: one. I wow, I'm I'm j- <sighs> wow the nineties, <90s. laughs> the nineties. That must have been. Right at the tail end of the 90s, though, for Spider-Man, if not the early 2000s. I want to say this would have been about 98, 99. Wow. PJ, uh, do you know the one interesting fact about Prodigy? There's an interesting fact? Uh, Yes. No. Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, I should say, wore a fake nose when he was pretending to be Prodigy. Yes, yes, I do remember that. There you go. Well, PJ, and you didn't think that was interesting? Not particularly, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because the gimmick was... Hi, everyone. I know this is a JLA podcast, but let's talk about the Slingers. Um, The gimmick was that each of the identities kind of was Spider-Man leaning into a different aspect of his powers, correct? Yeah. So Prodigy was like super strong. Yes. Hornet was like peter's technological skills because he made armor and a wing Um, winged suit yeah yeah ricochet was fast and agile and bouncy yeah and dusk well had the 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 kind of shadow suit and the the stealthy part of his powers you know hiding on the ceiling and stuff yeah yeah so then what did like just four randos then just pick up those identities yeah spider-man like licensed them or something i can't remember the
1: exact ins and outs i know ricochet was a mutant whose powers are similar to speedballs he just bounced off things um i cannot remember what the other three really what their origins were the only other thing i remember about them is that hornet was killed off panel during the Wolverine enemy of the state storyline, he's one of the many superheroes, one of the many Zedless superheroes. Mark Miller had
0: Wolverine kill in that storyline. Oh god, that's when. Now, hang on, I can do this. Um, wait, I just have to forget a few childhood memories to dig this one up. <laughs> yep. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Wolverine was captured by the Hand. Yeah. And they killed him and resurrected him as their uh, mindless assassin. Yes. Basically. Yeah and
1: just sent him after the rest of the superheroes. That story, to be fair, I do really like. I think there's a really fun Wolverine versus Daredevil fight in it, and there's an absolutely stunning moment when Wolverine goes after the Fantastic Four that shows you just how dangerous Sue Storm actually is when she beats Wolverine by creating invisible force fields in his lungs.
0: Yeah, that would do it. Yeah. That would do it. (laughs) Where, Where do we currently stand on Wolverine's claws versus Miss Fantastic's body? uh i don't know have there been definitive answers on that i think it might
1: depend on how you know if it's a surprise attack mr fantastic doesn't see coming maybe it would wolverine would be able to cut through but i don't really know to be honest
0: Mm. have they brought the fantastic four back yet yes yes okay cool just, they, they were kind of like blacklisted from their own company for a while weren't Yeah,
1: they? yeah. well it's the, it's the same as when in the mid 2000s They sort of rested Thor for a while And he had a couple of years without a Thor book And without his presence really anywhere in the Marvel Universe And then did a big relaunch with um, J. Michael Straczynski Relaunching the book, that's what they've done now with Fantastic Four I think about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit longer It was a new relaunch with Dan Slott at the helm
0: it's such. It's so weird, isn't it? I mean, like, who could have imagined? I mean, you know, obviously, around the time these books came out, the ones we are be talking about on this podcast, um, you know, I was reading, as we mentioned last episode, I was reading the Marvel uh, collected editions in the UK, starting to collect JLA, uh, and there was, you know, movies. I mean, what do you have really at this point? Like, uh, maybe Batman and Robin. was kind of out you're starting to get um x-men you know it was it it was such a weird time in a way um i think we're a
1: couple of years off x-men aren't we because x-men was 2000 i think blade blade was 1999 and i think that's really the film that kickstarts the current way of doing superhero films as in actually making them good you know
0: (laughs) well i mean because obviously marvel were in a lot of financial trouble in the 2000s and you obviously had image comics you had the supposed collect by you know collector's market and all these variant number ones and stuff and then it all kind of i don't know know. fell apart pretty rapidly but how was dc doing like actually financially in the 90s uh
1: i don't really remember if i'm honest um better than marvel I think. I feel like Marvel bought more into the collector's boom side of it than DC did. Don't get me wrong, DC weren't innocent from it. I remember a couple of, I bought a Superman 125 that had glitter on the cover and things like that. So (laughs) DC were definitely part of it. But I feel like Marvel were pushing that more perhaps and went stale perhaps a bit more so than DC did. Um, But I don't think comics overall were that healthy, and you didn't, as we've said, you didn't really have the movies to back them up. You had Batman and Robin in 1996. I want to say 1998 or so, you had the Spawn movie, which was awful. Oh,
0: God, yeah. But then, as I said, until
1: Blade kickstarts it, really, in 99, you don't really have good comic book movies anymore in the 90s.
0: No, and I guess, at what point did Warner Brothers buy DC? You know, because for the longest time like I mean, I mean we're talking about like brand recognition and all that and batman superman and spider-man maybe were probably like the most recognizable hmm. heroes globally i'm making broad sweeping statements with nothing to back it up here but x-men were very popular for marvel because of the cartoon yeah uh nobody knew the avengers no one cared about the avengers no. um superman world famous batman world famous but, of course, as we said before, like in the UK, you really couldn't get DC comics, you know, readily. Um, I never heard about Green Lantern until I read um, Marvel vs. DC. Likewise. Which I, yeah. I, and, and it was Kyle, well, you know, which was cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I was like, hey, hey this is cool. These, these DC superheroes are certainly of a different flavour to what I'm used to. I do wonder if maybe if if the movies
1: hadn't started doing well and and sort of putting these characters in, in the public consciousness in a way because you get Blade and then the X-Men films and then the Raimi Spider-Man films and then the Nolan Batman films all in the space of about five years if those hadn't done well if we may have seen sort of what happened in the 40s happen again where the superhero characters sort of fall out of favour and it's only the really big ones Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman back then but maybe this time Spider-Man as well and the X-Men who can sort of keep comics going and superhero comics just maybe die out for another 20 years or so before someone tries to bring them back I do wonder if maybe that would have happened had it not been for the success of the films
0: I know it is it is wild isn't it because on the one hand like we've never we've never had it better in you know if you are quote unquote you know a fan a nerd whatever you know there's an overabundance of stuff you know when they're making an Eternals movie yes um, when, when there's a, a, a Vision and Scarlet Witch TV series you know when there's when a Shang-Chi Doom... movie coming out and everyone's already enjoying that trailer when, when when there's a Doom Patrol TV series based on Grant Morrison's run you know you're like good god like it's it's never been a better time and yet, and yet and this is where I try not to sound a little too much like a grumpy, grumpy old man. It, it you do get the impression that the comics industry, in particular, is is dancing as as fast as it can to keep up with it. I, I do feel like they know this isn't going to last forever, and they're trying really hard <laughs> to try and uh, transfer some of that good movie will into comics. I mean, you know, it works to a degree because. If you look at the Guardians of the
1: Galaxy, they hadn't been able to sustain their own series consistently for a long time, but then suddenly the movie comes out, and they've not been out of print since. There's been a Guardians title in print since the movie came out. They've rebooted it a few times because you have to do that every twelve issues
0: or so these days. <laughs> That's my point. Like it's it's for rebooting. It's the it's the events and stuff. Like um, you know, I I you know I think the Scourge is fine to a point. Like um. Clearly, we're doing a podcast about nostalgia. But I, I don't want to, you know, glorify the past too much. But th- there is, to me, I, I do kind of miss a particular period in, like, I want to say like late 90s, early 2000s, where there was, like, if I picked up a Spider-Man comic, for example, I knew that Spider-Man lived in a shared universe with, you know, the Avengers and other heroes and i knew he could run into say captain america mm. but those moments were kind of like few and far between and i it, it didn't might it didn't matter to me like when, when it happened it was special it didn't have to happen all the time and i do kind of feel that with the overwhelming success of avengers you know on on the big screen uh what everybody every studio is trying to do is to capture that magic of a team coming together yeah and and i feel that's that's why you get so many events nowadays like so many crossover in comics in particular just people love seeing all these heroes together and so you can't go six months a year without there being some big event and i think that's just a little exhausting i i you know i i personally can't keep up with that anymore no me neither and i think there is an element of
1: the comics adapting to fit what's being shown on the screen, which is a shame, because when you take these characters and put them in a film or in a TV show, things will change. That's just the nature of adapting one thing from one medium to another. But it's it's also an opportunity to maybe do something different with a character, try a different take on it, which can be interesting, can work, sometimes maybe not, but it's worth a shot. But it shouldn't then go back the other way. If someone picks up a comic based on a character they've just come across for the first time in a film or TV show I don't necessarily feel like they should be seeing exactly that character they should see the inspiration for the for the screen version and maybe become hooked on something a bit different but I don't think the comics should be trying to be the, the screen versions thereof and like when you get Captain America's costume changing to reflect the screen version the screen version works great in the films mm. but it's not what I want to see in the comics. I want
0: the pirate boots and the wings on his head. Yeah, because it's you know, it's, it's a, and and also because there's there's an element in the movies where they've and this goes this is across all companies, you know, and across all franchises, but they 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 always try to drag it into the real world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's actually one of my my issues with with some of the marvel movies as they went on is um they were so reluctant to get any form of bright color into a costume like um there were little concessions at color but then they'd always kind of dial it back and and, and mute it a bit um i mean you look at someone like um thor's costume in um uh, infinity war um he, 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 it's it's just so black. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's really kind of uh, because, of course, it, it's grim and gritty and and, and realistic, and uh, and it's a shame to see that kind of trickle back into comics a little bit because it's meant to be. It's meant to be a little ridiculous. Like, you know, we we could talk about Electric Blue Superman, the greatest superhero costume and character design ever <laughs> committed to the page. And I feel if they ever tried to get that onto the screen, they would add flaps or folds or ridges or, or, I don't know, try to make it black and blue or something like that. Like, it doesn't have to be, what am I trying, it doesn't have to be real. Sometimes it's okay to be a cartoon, if that makes sense. I
1: feel like they are starting to move away from that a little bit. If you look at the current crop of DC shows, like the, the Arrowverse shows, particularly Superman in those shows is now getting very, colourful. They even had, in the first episode I think it was of Superman and Lois they had him in the very original costume with the black diamond and the red S on it and the red trunks and it looked great. If you look at Falcon and Winter Soldier, Falcon's new, spoilers if you haven't seen it, I do apologise, pause now there we go. <laughs> Falcon's <laughs> new Captain America outfit is basically exactly the one from the comics and it looks really cool, I love it. Um, so I, I think there is sort of a an idea that they're moving more towards comic the comic book versions of those costumes for some characters. Like I say, I totally get why they haven't done that with Captain America. I think those boots, those wings, those gloves would look silly in, in real life. Yeah, but you can find so- a balance that isn't necessarily going the realistic grim and gritty look as well.
0: Now, I would say, like, why didn't we ever get Hawkeye... In his weird kind of pirate archer costume, I know. Uh, uh, but but mind you, Jeremy Jeremy Renner does look a little bit like a potato, so I don't really know. <laughs> how, <laughs> I don't really know how he would look with the mask on. But I mean, they're already like. I mean, we got a talking raccoon. It's already ridiculous. Like, why can't people? Yeah. Just just lean into it. Just just go crazy. Yeah.
1: You notice how they never really deviate too far with Spider Man. He always looks pretty no. much like he's from the comics.
0: Well, I, I certainly from, I mean certainly from Civil War onwards. When when he turned up in Civil War, he had an incredibly bright, vibrant, mm. looked almost Kirby esque kind of costume. They still, even then, they still put a tiny bit of black into it, like they added like some kind of black stripes, which weren't there before. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But you still get the the, the pro- red and the blue, and they pop, and I like it. That is true, and 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 I will all will be forgiven if for the next movie they go with the Ben Riley Spider-Man costume or the Scarlet Spider costume, uh, which is the <laughs> electric blue Superman of Spider-Man. If 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 that makes sense, it, it does. But I disagree.
1: I love the Scarlet <coughs> Spider costume, but it doesn't hold a torch to the classic Spider-Man costume in in my eyes.
0: Wait, uh, wait quick pop quiz though. What what are your feelings on the Ben Riley Spider-Man costume?
1: I like it, but again, not as much as classic Peter Parker, Steve Ditko designed Spider-Man. Uh, big eyes or small eyes? I actually really like that they've more leaned into the eyes will move and change in the last few years, now that they've actually had that happen in the films and sort of tried to explain it. Uh, you know, I quite like that the eyes will change on his mask. I, that's that's
0: my preference. How do you feel about the Todd McFarlane uh, kind of Visors, like basically like um, covering his entire face, sort of eyes. Oh, so when he get and when he get punched in the face, they'd crack. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I I really like those early '90s, late '80s Todd McFarlane Spider-Man uh, drawn issues. I think they're really good fun. I like his webbing as well. Like he originates what they call the spaghetti webbing, where it all sort of
0: tangles oh. around
1: itself and everything. I think I it really like bizarre, McFarlane wasn't Spidey. It?
0: yeah yeah it's again not read a lot of mcfarlane spidey i do i feel like I, I i like looking at it from afar but i've never read it so i don't know quite how it actually holds up
1: i uh, it was really popular in the 90s and that's why spawn worked because people followed him from spider-man to spawn I don't think it holds up quite so successfully when reread today. There's fun to be had with it. There's a a really fun, I think it's five or six part series called Perceptions where, with Wendigo in it, where uh, it gets really dark, but it also has Wolverine in it and about part three. It sort of more becomes a Wolverine story than a Spider-Man story. But but I really like that one. As I say, bits of it do not hold up and it is very much... McFarlane going, let's do a grim and gritty Spider Man story. Though Spidey himself remains the Spider Man we know and love. He's not changing the character, he's just putting Spider Man in darker situations.
0: Mm. Mm. Is that where the the original armored Spider Man costume first turned up, or am I thinking of a different time? Do you mean the 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 actual, like, silver metallic? Yeah. I don't
1: believe that was McFarlane. I want to say that was for issue 100 of Web of Spider-Man. I cannot remember the actual story beats of why Spidey needed that outfit,
0: but I seem to recall it was wrecked by the end of it anyway. In terms of, like, gifts to... If you're gonna hand a gift to the action figure market, like, Batman and Spider-Man... Mm-hmm. are each just 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 an incredible gift to the toy industry because you know you've what can you have you have arctic adventure batman <laughs> you know uh fire rescue batman um jungle commando batman you know he's got a, he's got a costume for everything well, just
1: look at the the recent video games for both of them and how many different costumes you can unlock
0: for each of them in those games it's mm.
1: ridiculous.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but I picked up a, a random issue of Spider-Man when I was on holiday once, and he was fighting Electro with uh, Nate Gray. Oh, the yeah, the rubber suit. Out. The rubber suit, that blew my mind as a kid. It's like, oh, my God, Spider-Man has multiple costumes? That
1: was an unlockable suit in the PlayStation 1 game, Spider-Man 2, Enter Electro. I remember that well.
0: Mm. Ah. But PJ, before we get too off topic, um, you had an exciting JLA revelation which you wanted to bring up on air. It just came to me, and I just want to mention this
1: because I don't know if this is intentional or if it was just a happy coincidence on Grant Morrison's part. So, obviously we're looking at the new lineup of the JLA at the moment, the expanded roaster, as it were. Green Arrow and Aztec are gone, Wonder Woman is gone. But we do have a new Wonder Woman, who's actually the original Wonder Woman's mother, I know, and all the other extra characters on there. So it's the big lineup shake, uh, shake change, shake change. That's not a word. <laughs> shake change. <laughs> the big lineup change. The big shake up. That's what I was trying to say for the JLA, and it happens in issue 16. That's when we first meet the new team. Issue 16 is also the number we had when the Avengers first had their big lineup change in the 60s. When the original members all left, and Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver joined with Captain America, and I, I gotta wonder if that was intentional on Morrison's part, if this issue sixteen lineup change was a, a little reference to the Avengers, or if it's just a hell of a coincidence.
0: I mean, I think any other writer, I'd probably say, just a coincidence. But Morrison, like, has built their entire career on. Being weird connectivity, basically, yeah. and digging up weird bits of continuity. I mean, that would be a that. I mean, it's got to be a question for when the the inevitable interview happens. It's got to got to be a question, PJ. Yeah,
1: we'll 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 note that one down for the
0: future. But PJ, um, given that this, uh, you know, as much as it is a joy to talk about uh, '90s comics of of every shape and size um, and quality. we are here to talk about and quality definitely quality pj what are you saying they were all of exactly the same quality you're putting um,
1: slingers up against jla
0: well i mean yes we've you know we've been recording the jla cask for about a year but you know we can't ignore the fact i've been in i've been recording the slingers cask for a good seven years now pj so it you know i think that speaks for itself. <laughs>
1: Is that just you're in a room on your own and you're the
0: only one that listens to it as well? I mean, it's kind of like when Prince died and they they found his vault full of like thousands of hours of music he'd never released. <laughs> it's, it's going to be like that. I, I have like a dead man's switch. So when I do eventually die, the Slinger's cask will be broadcast to all kind of major, major networks.
1: I'm impressed you can, if you could fill that because that's that series lasted about 10 issues and then the characters almost never appeared again.
0: We're doing um, we're doing a page, an issue. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> and of course, with all, the, all those number one variants, <laughs> you know, that's, that's 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 taken us at least five years or so. <laughs> uh, but no, but PJ, of course, we are about to talk about issue nineteen of JLA proper, the Seven Soldiers of Probability. Yeah, so
1: this this is the second part of the Strange Case of Doctor Julian September. We obviously looked at part one last time and you should listen to that because it was a very good episode.
0: And here's a question for you, PJ. Uh, Obviously, this is the second issue uh, which is guest-written by Mark Wade, Mm -hmm. uh, and it is called Seven Soldiers of Probability, which is, of course, a reference to the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yep. A team that Morrison would go on to reinvent in the mid-2000s for DC. So my question to you, PJ, is this came out in June 1998, 12 years after uh, Crisis. Had the Seven Soldiers of Victory appeared yet post-Crisis? I do
1: not know. The Seven Soldiers of Victory are a bit of a blind spot for me, I'm afraid. I don't know much about them beyond the Morrison... Uh, reinvention of the series which i must admit i found was only okay i got a bit bored
0: i i quite like i quite like seven, seven soldiers of, of victory if if only for the weird experiment that it is um obviously like each series is like a slightly different genre yeah um i mean you know we were talking about how hard it is to keep track of a story over four superman titles which are coming <laughs> out simultaneously it's a little bit like that but yeah, I just—I don't know—just a curious little oddity. I wanted to bring up that, like, ooh, you know, isn't that weird? Well, I guess it's not that weird because Morrison didn't write this issue. <laughs> no, I think—I think Morrison's Seven Soldiers is
1: interesting, and what they try to do with the series, I can appreciate. It's just the the books themselves. I just didn't particularly get on with myself i know people who do absolutely love that series and and that is completely and utterly fair enough i'm not going to argue with that
0: no pj we are not allowed to have different opinions <laughs> the only reason we're recording this is to establish ourselves as the the, the uh industry experts on what's good the, the authority on Thank- on quality um i like that <laughs> Uh, but but PJ, what's uh, what have we missed? What's happened previously? Well, in... luckily, first uh-huh. page of this issue is a recap. Ooh. So
1: it nice. all started seven hours ago. There's that number again. When uh, members of the JLA just started vanishing. And you do see an image of Steel's hammer falling to the ground as Superman and Wonder Woman basically go, Oh no, where's Steel gone? Gasp. Uh, Meanwhile other things are going weird Seven buildings have gone on fire in Japan Seven jumbo jets have tried to crash into each other Global catastrophes All in sevens And then the Justice League find that Julian September A scientist who's created An engine of chance Is behind it Batman destroys the engine of chance But things still keep going weird
0: Yeah, um, American flags are being replaced by uh, Confederate flags. Uh, You know, everything, uh, history is changing. And I guess the most kind of immediate and real world change in history is, well, we see Oracle looking at her very 90s PC monitor to discover a news item that says, uh, billionaire Bruce Wayne returns from years abroad... As a boy, Muggers Gun misfires, Chank's blessing buys Wayne family and Gotham many prosperous years.
1: <sighs> so, Bat- Gasp. the end of last issue, Batman said, we're down to seven members, so we're fine, the sevens are assigned to us and they mean, and then he disappeared because the world has rewritten itself so Batman doesn't exist. His parents survived and Bruce Wayne is just a happy man with parents.
0: A happy man with parents and money. And money, yes. Yes. Uh, and a butler. He presumably still has a butler. I would assume, yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't clean that whole mansion himself. No, no, no. I mean, as long as, as, long as Alfred's okay, that's all all I really care about. <laughs> um. So, yeah, in a nutshell, probability has gone whack. And, um, well, I wonder if a JLA can save the day. So here we have it, the title Seven Soldiers of Probability, as
1: John said and then the credits, Mark Wade, Guest Writer, Howard Porter Penciler, John Dell and Walden Wong, Incas Ken Lopez-Letterer, Pat Garrick, Colorist Heroic Age Separations, L.A. Williams Assistant Editor, or AST Editor as this says and Dan Raspler, Editor
0: Yeah and we cut to Washington where the remaining Leaguers are and um Kyle basically reminds everyone that Batman has vanished. He basically goes, well, Batman was right here. Now there's no sign of him. I don't get it. <laughs> and um, obviously, as they pointed out at the end of the previous issue, the League normally normally relies very heavily on Batman sorting this sort of stuff out. You know, Batman is the, is the brains and the strategy kind of guy. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, particularly some of the younger Leaguers are feeling a little screwed now he's gone.
1: Yeah, and I like that in the background on this panel, you've got Plastic Man has turned himself into a big magnifying glass to look for clues as to where Batman's gone, but Superman's also radiating energy, and it looks like he's trying to stretch out and use his powers in some way to try and find
0: Batman, is my guess. And I just like that little detail. The only the only weird thing I would say about that particular panel, PJ, is I, I'd never, until today, despite having looked at this panel a lot, I'd never really noticed that Superman was radiating energy. So it always just looked to me like he was kind of raising his hands and kind of like crying out in like outrage that Plastic Man had turned into a magnifying <laughs> glass. I thought he just looked really pissed off at Plastic Man. <laughs> but uh, as Kyle says,
1: with this doesn't make sense. Batman said that we were being paired down to seven, but without him, we're down two. And then Jean says, seven. I'm in telepathic communication with Oracle. Oh
0: Yeah, yeah, we can blame we can blame the computer, the computer girl, basically, for, uh, for ruining things. <laughs> Although she could have probably claimed she if might, she might have been able to barter with the universe to say, I'm kind of like, I guess I am an official member, but I'm not like a field member. Maybe I should gain like six computer helpers <laughs> and you can keep Batman sort of thing. I don't know. Um, but interestingly, Oracle uh, is radioing Superman, uh, which he can pick up with his powers, um, because not everybody knows Batman's secret identity. So she's trying to relay that reality has changed without giving giving it away to everyone, basically, I think.
1: Yeah, so she's...
0: Because Superman, I,
1: I think Jean does know, John knows Batman's identity, but uh, Superman would be the only other one on the League, so Oracle is saying, you know, the gun that his parents misfired, there is no Batman, and then she's, she sort of pauses, she says Bruce's whole life was changed by the course of two bullets
0: hmm 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 um, so, uh, the League get moving uh, Kyle has made a kind of uh well kind of like a, a roller coaster kind of cart <laughs> thing. A bit like the old um Fantasticar yeah. sort of and uh uh Wally, uh Wonder Woman and Plastic Man have taken a seat inside. Um so does this confirm, PJ, that Hippolyta can't fly? Not under her own power. I think she has to use I think
1: I don't know if it's her boots or one of her other accoutrements to to do the flying, but I it might be that it, that only has a finite amount of power. As I say, I don't know for sure. I wasn't reading Wonder Woman at this point, and I probably never will, to be honest. Read this particular
0: run on Wonder Woman. Honestly, PJ. Why? Why? Why are you even here? Honestly. Um <laughs> Don't make me read more, but, John Byrne. But but as feel the burn, PJ. Um, but as the league um, rockets over. Um, i'm going to say the white house yep. I'm not going to embarrass myself with um, american architecture there no wait that's not um, no that's the
1: uh, the other one up on the capitol the other hill one. the the big
0: meeting Senate. yeah that's the one sorry folks we're very <laughs> we're very simple simple rural folk from britain we don't we don't understand things like normal people <laughs> um and uh it begins to blur pj Thus saving me from any more embarrassing faux pas. You And when it's unblurred,
1: it suddenly turned into, well, apparent. According to the league, it looks more like London than Washington. But that does not look like any building I know from London.
0: No, it's uh, uh well, well, well. There is a big garden which is from above shaped like a Union Jack. So that would probably, you know, yeah. give it away.
1: Yeah, but it's it's the big tower in the middle that has sort of more of a
0: Russian flavour, to me. With... It's a little it's a little Kremlin esque, yeah. isn't it? Um, and, um, and 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 uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's not that kind of proud white uh, Roman esque building. It's it's dull and squat and brown, like like a lot of London. <laughs> so um, that's how you know um, we're in the darkest timeline uh, because um, the Brits are in control of the of the of america
1: yeah basically the plastic man says it looks like america lost the revolutionary war now and he says sorry superman it looks like you're now fighting for truth for truth justice and kidney pie
0: well i feel seen <laughs> <laughs> like i feel you know i would take offense if i wasn't currently munching on um, some kind of jelly deal concoction <laughs> um uh, and worshiping a bulldog or something. Can I just say as um, well, though,
1: that in this particular panel, I absolutely love this drawing of Superman from Howard Porter. I think it's it just looks absolutely it's a beautiful rendition of electric blue Superman's costume. I think it's Porter's got that down perfect now.
0: Yeah, savour, savour these moments, PJ. Um, we don't have much time left together <laughs> with 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 the big electric blue. Um, but uh, Jean. Uh, is uh, trying to take charge of the situation and he reaches out uh, telepathically to talk to Oracle and says that they need to access uh, September's databanks. Not the month, the person, Julian. And um, I'm guessing Oracle is being like a little slow on replying uh, telepathically uh, because Jean is basically kind of like shouting at her in a, in a psychic manner.
1: She's just muttering to herself about two bullets never fired.
0: Yeah, and so I I don't know how that kind of like feels when you're trying to like ignore a psychic phone call, mm. but um, the league kind of realize she's not responding basically. So they're trying to just as they're riding in in Kyle's magical green wonder car, uh, they're just trying to uh, trying to work out what to do basically.
1: Yeah, so Kyle says, "Look, we don't." need that much info, surely. We know that Julian September's the guy behind it, and Jean points out, well, Batman said it wasn't his doing, not directly. Once he began manipulating the laws of charts for his own gain, the universe began playing a counter game with probability.
0: Yeah, it's uh, synchronicity, the convergence of related events. Uh, Basically, the universe is reordering itself and it's entirely associated with the number seven. Um... And they've got to find Julie in September, apparently. That's, that's their key goal. And uh, hey, PJ. Oh, I love this Jean, moment. John. <laughs> well, Superman goes, well, how do you suggest we find him? And John narrows his eyes. I, I kind of imagine he just, he, he took off some, he, 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 he shapeshifted a pair of aviators <laughs> and <laughs> lowered them just to, just to gaze at the camera and say, I have my ways. I am, after all, a Manhunter.
1: Ooh wow.
0: <laughs>
1: can, can I just say though, when I first read this issue because in this in this run on JLA, Jean is only ever referred to as Jean. He's never called the Martian Manhunter except in uh, the uh the the roll calls at the beginning of the trades.
0: It's very cozy, isn't it? They're all we're all good friends here. So when he, the
1: very first time I read this, when he says I am after all a manhunter, that had no impact on me at all. Because I didn't know he was the Martian
0: manhunter. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of... It's weird, really, isn't it? Because Jean has always been a bit of an oddity. Uh, And obviously, when he was first created and the title of, like, Martian Manhunter, you know, like, oh, it's alien, it's unknown and everything. But how much of his original stories were about the fact that he he was... He would pretend to be a a human detective. Like, um, was he kind of solving a lot of crimes back in the day? I believe so. He was a
1: originally appeared in and was a staple of for a while detective comics
0: so Mm. you've got to imagine
1: a lot of those were detective stories
0: yeah it's just it's an aspect of genre which has kind of faded over over the years because it's like you stop and think about it and martian manhunter is actually like a hell of a name Mm. a hell of a moniker you know it's um yeah it's weird in a way i wonder what yeah, doesn't do a lot of man hunting. I feel like it's, it's Wade off.
1: who leans into that aspect of him more than Morrison does through this run, mm. because Morrison plays with John as the soul of the Justice League, and he's he's strong. He's got the telepathic powers, but you you more see him as as that heart of the team. He's not so much... Because Batman's there, so he's not really doing the detecting so much. But here, with Batman gone, Wade has him just step into that role and it works
0: beautifully. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess it was never really intended this way because the character's been around so long and so many different creative teams have worked with him. But there's a weird kind of... A weird, fun, mecha-narrative around John where he arrived on Earth as a stranger, far from home. Um, You know becomes a Manhunter because he's an outsider. He's like he can be like the vigilante. He can track people down in secret, but he's always alone. Then I like the idea that when he finds the league, they do become his kind of surrogate family. Because mm. they're the closest people to being able to understand him. And yeah, it's almost like Manhunter was his his old career. <laughs> he kind of put it put it behind him really, but he's still got a name because all superheroes have to have a cool name, apparently. Yeah. It just makes so much sense for him to just his full time job is working on the league and basically keeping keeping them together.
1: Precisely, and yeah, I love it. And he just flies off at this point, having declared he is a man hunter. At which point, Wally says, "So, all those who've ever seen Jean angry, raise their hands. Okay, what made him mad?
0: Yeah, Jean, Jean is pissed, and uh, and when Jean gets pissed, he he likes to go." Um, he likes to go annoy some British people, basically. <laughs> uh, so Jean races towards the Pentagon, uh, invisible and intangible, and starts doing some snooping. He he goes through a
1: wall past a painting of his Royal Highness Edward the Eighth. That's that's important to note, and finds Julian September's file, and just nicks it. He steals it right out from the drawer. Just
0: takes it, and you know this is Britain because uh, a couple of uh, military officials come in. And they're like, ooh, ooh, bloody, bloody computer machines are down again. We'll have to go to paper. Ooh, bucket of thumbs. Bucket of thumbs? Ooh, <laughs> upturned bowler hat. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I know we have a lot of American listeners. They probably need subtitles on that one. But yeah, that's just how we talk around it. It's just, you know, bloody this, bloody that. I, I do say bloody a lot to be fair. I do say bloody a lot. But no, it doesn't matter if it's true PJ, it's still a stereotype. <laughs> it, um, I'm not okay with it. Um but yeah, but two um two British uh fellows walk in. Uh and um yeah, uh, and uh they 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 think they hear someone and they say, "Hello. Who's there? This is a restricted area, core blimey." And um John is going to be caught PJ unless he can do something about it luckily he's a shapeshifter so he turns
1: into HRH Edward VIII and just hands them a file saying as well as it should be give me everything we have on the, this man and his likely whereabouts immediately
0: <laughs> yeah and um, the dude's a little shocked because the king is here um, but I guess he gets to work um, and we cut away to uh, Oracle in a watchtower And um, she's working on something, basically. Well, on on her screen are just a load of
1: Batman villains. So you can see the Joker, the Mad Hatter, the Penguin, Poison Ivy, and the
0: Scarecrow. And uh, that's actually a very... um, The particular... That's a good point, PJ. I'm so ignorant. I I swear I'd never really noticed that before or paid attention. But the picture of um, the Joker in particular looks very... um, um, Frank Miller esque, yes, like the way the way his faces is, is drawn by Porter.
1: My assumption is that what what Oracle's doing here is trying to find out if there's no Batman, what happened to all these villains? Where are they? Are they? Do they even still exist? And that that's her current project.
0: Yeah, and and while she's doing that, she's ignoring her voicemail. So she's ignoring her telepathic voicemail and her actual voicemail. Uh, Because um, she gets a call on her answering phone from um, Bruce, who's popping by to say hello, because he hasn't seen her in ages, and he's bringing mom and dad with him.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Oracle does not look happy. Barbara's eyes are... The amount of emotion Howard Porter gets into Barbara's face in these three panels, especially the final close-up of her eyes, is
0: just stunning. Um, sorry, PJ, I, I'm, not, I'm not making light of that. I was, just, I was just thinking about the next scene where we have um, uh, the League trying to prevent uh, a kind of a tsunami from hitting uh, 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 some kind of waterfront city. Uh, and Plastic Man has shaped himself into a giant wall. Kyle has generated countless sandbags out of um, green plasma and Wally is assembling them. And, um, I don't know, I just kind of like the idea that Wally's going to all this effort to build a wall (laughs) and then Kyle's going to, like, look away and they're just going (laughs) to (laughs) disappear. But also, there's a mistake on this panel. Uh, Is it because... Hang on, let's see if I can guess. It's quite an obvious one. Is it because Jean's there? Yeah, Jean isn't with them at the moment. Why is he there? (laughs) Uh, Well... Maybe creative license he he um he's he turns up on the next page, like maybe I don't know. They they know, go PJ. to him on the next page. Actually PJ, if we're talking about weird little errors that do creep into crowd scenes, uh, I was re- I was flicking through World War Three the other day. There are quite a few scenarios where Jean is in shots where he shouldn't be. What? Okay, I'm going to have to look out for these cuz yeah, it's just no, a thing that...
1: where where Howard Porter starts hiding John's in places where he shouldn't be. It's like where's Wally but
0: with the Martian Manhunter. I swear there's a bit I swear there's a bit where uh John is among the wave of superheroes who are who are racing to prevent the war uh, while he's also simultaneously in the ghost zone <laughs> at the same time. I swear it's there, bitch. <laughs> Okay, keep an eye out for Hidden John's as we go through. It's so like, where's Wally, basically? But also, the
1: next panel, Flash is looking up at a big clock, saying this is what happens when the world starts spinning faster, as if things couldn't get any worse. There are suddenly seven hours in a day. Where's this clock? What's he looking at um,
0: here? It's... Uh, I, I I choose to believe, PJ, it is a... Um, uh, it is a clock that Kyle generated with his ring. No, and due to it, it was it was not coloured green. I've just due I, to, uh... actually
1: I've just spotted the previous panel. If you look just above Wonder Woman, there is an arch with a clock above it in the wall. There. Oh, okay. What's confusing in this picture of Wally is there are green sandbags in between him and this clock, which he's either the wrong side of the
0: sandbags or just the the layout doesn't quite work. I... What I don't understand is why why Kyle is um, basically tormenting Wally here by making him do all this work when Kyle, because maybe Kyle just, you know, with the power of thought, made more sandbags appear in front of the clock, because that's what he can do with his magic power ring. He just wants Wally to feel useful. (laughs) Yeah, Wally, bless him, can't fly. He's already had to ride around in the magical fun car, so (laughs) now Kyle is generating mindless busy work for him to basically keep him out of trouble. But
1: yeah, as he points out, there's only seven hours in a day now and Wonder Woman says, well, the Earth can't take that strain. And Wally says, neither can I. I wish John were here. Look two panels back, Wally. Um, <laughs>
0: maybe it was a ghostly Jean. Maybe <laughs> John was invisible. And when they look back in the sand, PJ, and saw only one set of footprints, that's because Jean was invisible and intangible. And can fly. And can fly. Yeah, that's a very good point, PJ. Um... But yeah, so uh, apparently Jean is signalling them, so they 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 rocket off to, you know, wherever Jean is, because apparently he's not on the beach. PJ, uh, and um, I do like, just gonna say, I like the little energy streak that uh, ha- Porter draws for uh, Superman rocketing away.
1: Yeah, I really like that too. It's just energy crackling with energy with Kirby dots in the middle of it. It's beautiful.
0: And uh, yeah, and then they they smash right through a wall to um to find John, looking pretty grim. Probably because he wishes he was on the beach.
1: Uh, he says the mystery is far from solved. The laws of chance continue to bend and break to our disadvantage. And it turns out Judy in September died of a heart attack at age twenty six.
0: <laughs> it was harrowing, Pete. It was harrowing, PJ. Zachs. Um Julian September achieved so much at such a young age.
1: <laughs> I isn't isn't twenty-six like the age that a lot of die, the famous people who died young. Isn't that the age? It's
0: 27, I believe. Ah, oh, well, screw you, Julian September. I wouldn't, wouldn't 27 have been more more fitting? It would. It would. Let's write yeah. to Mark Wade. Mark Wade, please go back and fix this story that you wrote. <laughs> um yeah, so uh I don't know, I guess uh they, they try to go over uh September's research. I guess uh Superman tries to read the files on his computer. Um but they I I'm guessing I'm guessing that's what he's trying to do with his, his electromagnetic powers, but they they're encrypted, basically, so he's unable to.
1: Yeah. And plastic man shapeshifts into the Grim
0: Reaper because he's Plastic Man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a classy fellow. Um and uh, Jean tries to raise Oracle again, uh, and uh, Oracle is really not in the mood. She keeps trying to tell him she's too busy, and Jean basically snaps, and he's basically like, um, "I'm very." He's, he's basically like, "I'm very disappointed in you, Oracle. Uh, you're basically you're risking, you're gambling the entire safety of the world just on the hope that history will change and." you won't have been shot and paralysed. That's his accusation.
1: Can I just say as well, Jean's exact line, my disappointment in you is limitless, I felt that. That from Jean
0: to you, that would hurt. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But, um, Oracle out he's got it wrong you know she's like good God is that you know is, is that what you think of me <laughs> for crying out loud um it's not me it's, it's it's Bruce basically um you know she's like Bruce Wayne is finally happy this is like the only universe where he's not driven by guilt and 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 remorse and uh, obligation to do the right thing like she's like She's basically having a real crisis of conscience. She's like, anything we do to correct this will mean condemning the Waynes to die. And, um, yeah, and, and and condemning Bruce to a, to a life of misery, basically.
1: She's been trying to find a way to make sure that when they get the world back to normal, Bruce's parents stay alive. And, yeah, Jean, what I really like about this scene as well, though, she she says... Look, let Superman's powers read the files. I'm working with the probability tables. And Jean, he realises he'd made a mistake in what he judged, how he judged her. He was too harsh there. But he remains stern, trying to keep her on track. He just says, look, we don't have time. We're both analytical thinkers. You know this won't work. You're using it as an excuse to not make a hard choice. Being in the JLA is about making hard choices. Your heart is strong, but your mind is stronger go with it. So he dials it down a bit. He's no longer angry with her, but he's still giving her a dose of reality and and being harsh but fair.
0: Yeah, and um you know, Oracle goes silent. I guess she's she's you know, thinking it over, letting those words wash over her and um without a word um June and September's files are unlocked. So, you know, Oracle's made her decision, allowing allowing Superman to read them.
1: But he can't understand them, because there's a lot of stuff about subatomic particles that none of them understand. As Jean says, none of us are physicists. Oh, we're so close. And then Jean starts to fade out of reality.
0: Yeah, um... And everyone's, like, freaking out, because you know, losing Batman's one thing, losing Jean, you know you know, yeah, I'd be worried if we didn't have either of them to back you up. And um Jean in his last moments before he kind of fades away, he's kind of thinking it over. He's going he's muttering to himself, he's going like seven, seven. He goes, Of course, listen to me. When the Axum arrives, you must tell him everything. Everything. Yeah, he does very much I mean, do the ghostly <laughs> Jacob Marley's ghost disappearing, doesn't he? <laughs> Which I think was a stylistic choice oh, from Jean. Definitely, like, he's he, a classicist. He's read all those stories. Like if I if I'm ever about to fade away, you you can be damn certain I'm going to make it cinematic <laughs> before I, before I disappear. Um. Yeah, and uh, and you know, Wally's a little, and then what? You know, everyone's in shock. Jean's disappeared, and Wally's like. Well, you know the atom, like Ray Palmer. I mean, he is a scientist, but you know, and but he's not here. And then a phone starts ringing, and uh, well, PJ, what's one thing we know about the atom? Uh, he's a scientist. Yes, and his name's Ray Palmer. Okay, what's maybe like a? Let's skip the third. What's maybe like the fourth thing we know about Ray Palmer, the atom? He can shrink. Okay, okay, he can ride hello everyone. He can ride telephone lines. Uh, <laughs> yes he can by so
1: plastic man shrinking picks up to the, the size of a photon <laughs>
0: the atom just falls out of it yeah, um again, quite a fun shot of um plastic man, I should say, and actually quite a fun shot of um the atom kind of uh, g- growing out of the telephone. I can't really think of a better word to describe it really.
1: Yeah, and this this is Ray Palmer in his mid-90s costume. So his hair is coming out of the top of his mask and he's
0: got like a waistcoat with loads of pockets on it. It's oh, it's a very 90s a look time. and I am here for it. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, This is also technically teenage Ray Palmer, is it not?
1: Yeah, there was a period where he got de-aged. I can't remember how or why, but I think it was in... Wasn't there a series called Sword of the Atom where he shrunk and went to a parallel universe that was a fantasy world and he had fantasy adventures there and then he came back and he was a teenager somehow?
0: Yeah, there was a period where... Because again, I'm a big fan of, as we were describing, that kind of 90s costume where it's like a wongsie, but they miss off the top of your head Mm. so your hair can come out. I think that is a hell of a look. Like, it's it's up there with Grifter's mask and um, excessive... Pockets and superhero jackets, which, you know, like we're talking like mid 90s X Men here. Like, it's got a, oh, it's, it's good. It's, 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 a, it's a strong 90s costume, basically. Yeah. And the only time we're going to
1: see it in this run.
0: Yeah. And just thinking about it, when Axum went on those kind of like fantasy worlds in like uh, fantasy adventures in like a, a microscopic Conan the Barbarian kind of world, uh, wasn't there a period where he was wearing like a kind of slightly uh, torn, jerry-rigged version of his costume where he had like a kind of belts and like animal skins kind of like yeah. hanging off it. And and yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and fun, fun, fun. essentially a similar shape to this costume, but with extra flappy bits. Uh, and then I think, I think what he does is he comes back and he makes a modern version of his fantasy costume. And that's what this is.
0: Yeah, and i i quite like i quite like the atom as a, as a character as a, as a leaguer. I quite like him as a member of the league, um, if only because I, I mean this in the nicest possible way. He is a little useless in combat. Like I, I quite like that that you can have a leaguer who's very important, but their powers aren't overtly aggressive. Like I quite, I quite like that—that that he's just there for his 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 brain more than his broad. I think he's
1: uh, yeah, and he's used really, really well in JLA
0: Avengers. Mm, yes, indeed. He's got a bit of um. Maybe this is the problem with um people who, uh, characters who shrink, because I have to say, like his classic costume, which he returns to. It's about as basic as they come. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it really is just like if you were playing like some kind of um, online superhero Mamorpaga, It's kind of like <laughs> the base costume you'd get. Yeah. Before you start adding customization.
1: Doesn't he have a, a little atom symbol on his forehead?
0: or somewhere on the oh, costume, isn't there? I'm su- Yeah, I'm suddenly doubting myself. He's got his belt, doesn't he? Which sometimes has like a little... Yeah, I think he does. He- he's a bit of a um, Doctor Manhattan kind of thing. Yeah. He's got a... Yeah. And also like Ant-Man, for who- of whom I am a, a-, a massive fan, uh, the original Ant-Man costume was basically like a discarded Spider-Man design. Yes. Uh, and that was... I, I kind of like it for like... It's- it- kind of novelty value but it's a little basic as well to be honest yeah and same colors actually red and
1: blue scheme for both the two shrinking guys
0: Mm, that's weird isn't it it is um but sorry yeah uh, um but uh an awesome panel of um really a really very nice panel actually of um Ray Palmer, uh, flying out of the phone and growing to full size in a crackle of, I guess, atomic energy. And uh, he looks as confused as everyone else, because he he basically dialed the wrong number, and now he's ended up where the JLA are? He he was trying to get home. It's a bit of a coincidence, PJ. It is. It is.
1: And... Kyle and Wally, you're like, well, how did John know that was going to happen? No idea. What is going on? Well, Superman fills the atom in on what's been happening.
0: Yeah, and um, Ray, you know, being one of those amazing comic book scientists who apparently have, like, multiple doctorates in different fields, um, is instantly able to work out what's going on. And uh, just from reading some files, and he goes, okay, so if I were going to store a photon somewhere, where would I... And then he looks across and sees the engine of Chanks, uh, which is just kind of seething with Kirby energy. And he goes, ah, there we go. And then we get a page that I think is so well done because
1: it's incredibly functional. It moves the story on while at the same time carrying a hell of a lot of exposition on it by just having the Atom explain it to the League and therefore explain it to us as well. So,
0: here here we go. This is um, (laughs) Physics
1: 101. He says, listen up. This is as he picks up the probability engine. Last year, quantum physicists ran a groundbreaking experiment, working on a subatomic level they divided a photon, a light particle, only to find that whatever alterations they made in one half were instantaneously mirrored in the other half six miles away even though there was no physical way for the halves to communicate with one another. Then he starts taking off his belt, while Wonder Woman asks if that's
0: coincidence. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. what a coincidence a coincidence that he's taking his belt off yes no the the, the photons the photons and he... um and this this is this is real you know yeah. as far as i'm aware i think mark wade must have must have read some uh popular science magazines in 1998 because we've had uh 23 years to to you know become more confident about this yeah so Atom continues
1: Quite the opposite. It's suggested that there is no coincidence, but rather a heretofore unseen interdependence between all events, an invisible web tying everything together, an underlying order to the universe. And Kyle says, synchronicity. And Ray says, precisely. But then he tells Kyle to just stand
0: there and point. Yeah, he's kind of like um, physically maneuvering Kyle's arm, basically. Um, and the League are just letting him work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And also helping, I guess, because Wonder Woman picks up a piece of rebar with like um, a. Uh, like a, a, just a big piece of metal bar kind of poking out of concrete and uh, she starts bending it in, into a convenient hook shape. It's very kind of um, arts and craftsy basically. Yeah,
1: well, he asks nicely at the end of this little bit, Ray says, can you bend this? Thanks. Because his next bit is, now, just as DNA is the basic building block of life, September believed that linked photons form the basic building blocks of synchronicity. In search of those blocks, he duplicated the experiment, dividing seven photons, but something went wrong.
0: Yeah, um, so basically the reason probability has gone so wrong is because September inadvertently broke the link between the two ha- the halves of his photons, basically. So he has completely severed uh, synchronicity across the universe, which is, um, as Ray puts it, unleashed a probability cancer which is spreading and growing uh, across the universe, basically.
1: Yeah. He says uh, tiny coincidences become near him possibilities on a global scale but the universe is trying to fight back and the sevens are the universe sending a message pointing the justice league to the seven photons inside september's device so basically the atom needs to shrink the entire justice league send them
0: into the device so they can bring the photons back together And the way they're doing that is uh, the Atom has hung his uh, size-changing belt, which contains a fragment of a white dwarf star, if I remember correctly, uh, from a piece of rebar. So Kyle can beam uh, green plasma off a mirror through the the belt buckle and create like a kind of size-changing... Ray, which will kind of bathe the league so they can go on their subatomic adventure, basically.
1: But Superman's worried because he says, uh, Ray, didn't you once tell me the lens worked only on you? And the atom says, I said it works safely
0: only on me. Other people explode after about two minutes. Uh, and as the league gets smaller and smaller, uh, he goes, Don't worry though. At the rate reality is breaking down, if we're not back by then, we may as well not come back. Um,. And meanwhile, uh, in the clock tower, uh, we see uh, from the intercom that Bruce Wayne, who is off camera, is waiting downstairs. And he goes, Barbara, it's Bruce. We're coming up. Buzzer's in. Uh, to which Oracle oh. just replies, oh, God.
1: So we cut from there to in the subatomic realm. where uh, Yeah, which is... Which looks wild, I've got to say. It's uh, I, I love the way Porter draws this sequence and and the way it's also coloured by as he
0: flips back to the credits page.
1: I am so sorry, colourist. Uh Pat oh, Garrett. I was going
0: to take a Mac. Yeah, I was, to, I was going to I was going to take a guess there. I'm so sorry, but no, Pat.
1: Uh, but yeah, I, I love the colours in this sequence.
0: Yeah, it's like if you if you're a fan of um, electric blue Superman's kind of you know crackle and whole kind of shtick this is this is very much like yeah this is like um yeah that writ large basically great big crackling energy and weirdest of all massive half spheres which are literally the photons which have been severed
1: yeah So Ray says they need to rejoin them. It's the only way to nullify the universal chaos. And then Kyle asks the question, but if we're smaller than light, how are we seeing? And the atom says, look, you're not. It's not human senses. This is just your mind quantifying it in a way you can understand so that you don't go insane. You're also not breathing oxygen. Don't think about it. (laughs) Um,
0: And uh, so it... Basically, uh, the league have to complete like a kind of obstacle course here because they have to connect the halves of the photons together. And uh, Ray gets the, the ball rolling, literally, by um, adjusting his mass slightly, which he can do, uh, to um, bump two of the halves together so they form a full sphere.
1: And That's followed by Hippolyta using the lasso to to bring two other halves together. So that's two photons
0: down. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, uh, the B plot uh, in a darkened uh, watch- uh, in a darkened uh, clock tower with very sinister lighting. Uh, we see Oracle alone in her wheelchair, going, "Please God, I don't think I can bear to see who's coming through the door." It's a bit of a horror movie, really. It
1: really is, and and. Yeah, this would be a horror movie for Barbara. She doesn't want to see this. This is one of the worst things she can think of. <laughs> <laughs> a happy a happy Bruce Wayne. Knowing that he's going to soon not be happy Bruce Wayne anymore.
0: Yeah, it would be kind of mad. Um, but Kyle, you'd think, would have a, a powerful advantage here. Uh, and he demonstrates that by um, making a giant uh, kind of construction arm sort of vice thing. To uh clamp two of the two of the photon halves together. Uh but just because he's saying like he's having a hard time concentrating, uh suddenly uh he's not Kyle. Suddenly he's just a completely random dude in normal clothes and a very baggy 90s jumper wearing the power ring, who is suddenly very confused. Yeah, just
1: the guy saying, Why am I wearing a ring? Where am I? And Superman, who has just finished slamming two halves together and streaked away from them, of two of these, one of these photons, shouts. Lantern suddenly changed as behind him, Plastic Man also brings together a photon.
0: Okay, I'm losing count now, but I think we're up to that's five, five
1: and then the next panel, Flash, uses the Speed Force to bring another one
0: together, and that is six. And just as Wally does that, uh, I, I, I guess to his horror he suddenly starts screaming and he's no longer the flash he is a horribly burned man again screaming can't can't stress enough how much he's screaming uh, <laughs> wearing hospital robes yeah
1: and uh, the atom points out that it's the probability cancer fighting back so it's altered history so it was not Kyle who received the green lantern ring it's someone else and that the electrified chemicals that gave Wally super speed instead burned him to the bone and he
0: continues to scream. It's pretty grim. <laughs> like, it's kind of grim, actually. And uh, in the background, um, due to a slight colouring error, uh, the rando holding the power ring is suddenly blonde and looks a hell of a lot like Aquaman. Just for oh, a yeah, he
1: does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, I choose to believe that's a little. Aqu- I choose to believe that uh, probability changed again and Aquaman is now wielding the, uh, the power ring. That's what I choose to believe.
1: That would be fun, but I, I'd no, I'd want to see him with the ring just on the end of his hook, though. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: meanwhile, uh, Wally is still screaming in absolute agony, and then we cut to Bruce Wayne and a couple of other people
1: walking up the stairs to Barbara Gordon's apartment,
0: uh, smoking a pipe as well.
1: Yeah, Bruce Wayne smokes in this reality. Batman would never smoke. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Batman's cool in this reality. <laughs> he smokes a pipe. Um and uh Yeah, time is running out. Time is running out. And uh uh yeah, and 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 Ray's like, well look, every second we leave this, uh the probability increases that you never landed on planet Earth, Superman, or you know, your your baby escape vessel landed in a rocket. Sorry, didn't land in a rocket, landed in a volcano or something, and you just died. So um, they form a a super happy, fun party chain, basically. uh, A human chain in the subatomic realm. Just before that, we do
1: get a wonderful, another wonderful Howard Porter close-up of of Barbara Gordon's face as
0: she just looks
1: terrified.
0: Uh, And so, yeah, we're coming back and forth. From uh, uh, Barbara looking terrified, we've got uh, Ray, Superman, uh, Hippolyta, and Plastic Man, who's really pulling his weight here, being all stretchy like, uh, linking one half of the photon, and they're getting closer and closer to the other half. And you see the door opening, and just at that last second, Ray puts his hand on the photon and makes the connection.
1: And we cut back to Barbara's apartment. And Batman walks through the door.
0: Has Batman ever walked through a door? No, he's
1: not used to this. That's why he looks so surprised in this panel. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is this? This (laughs) This
0: is Wait, you can just open these? (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't anyone tell me? I've been crashing through windows for years. (laughs) Ventilation shafts or, you know, occasionally I throw a dude through these, but, like, I didn't know they opened. (laughs) Then he does say, why am
1: I here? Barbara, is, is something wrong? And Oracle just... She looks defeated. She's hanging her head and she just pauses and then just says no, not anymore.
0: And uh, yeah back in, I guess, dueling September's lab, uh, the league grow back up to full size and probably to Wally's relief, uh, he's no longer horribly burned, he's the flash again. (laughs) And um, yeah, Apollosa goes, uh, you know, we're back Uh, did You know, did were were we were we successful? Is everything as it should be? And Wally just goes, "Ask them."
1: There you have seven vanished JLA members: Jean, Aquaman, Zariel, Big Barda, Orion, Huntress, and Steel, all in a place. Most of them never were before.
0: Uh, Yeah, and I, I imagine like you know. Occasionally disappearing, teleporting, coming back, being abducted—these are fairly common occurrences for members of the League. Probably just turning up in a random science lab. Not even like a—I don't know. It's not even like a supervillain lab. It's just like a university lab. Um, it's a bit mundane. It's, it's probably just like
1: what's weird. This is this is where Jean disappeared. It makes sense for Jean to reappear here. Batman reappears where Bruce Wayne was. But why yep. do the rest of them appear in the lab? for the convenience of story that's why
0: uh they 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 didn't pj they they all returned exactly where they were and then they instantly teleported to the jla watchtower and from there teleported to to here or it's the universe's
1: way, because the universe has been sending the sevens as a message, and it's the universe's way of sending one last seven to make sure the JLA know they've succeeded.
0: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, why not? <laughs> why, why not? I mean, also, kudos to Zoriel for even getting airborne, being inside like a kind of underfunded university <laughs> science lab. That's quite impressive. Um. So, yeah, so we... All's well that ends well, and we we cut back to uh the clock tower in Gotham, where Jean and Oracle are chatting.
1: Yeah, and Jean's explaining that they reversed the probability cancer, reality reasserted itself thanks to the atom. And Oracle says, Well, how did you know he was gonna replace you? And Jean says, I didn't, not for certain. I was, if you'll forgive the expression, playing the odds. Of all the JLAers to have served the team in its decade-long existence, the Atom was the seventh to join. And I just, I love that, actually, as a little, the last little seven the story gave gave us there.
0: And I guess the question would be, and this is kind of shocking to me, like, is? uh, It must be, because this is Wade we're talking about, Mark Wade, but like... Is that true?
1: In in <laughs> post-Crisis continuity, yeah, you have the original five Flash, Green Lantern, Black Canary, Martian Manhunter and Aquaman, then Green Arrow joins, then the Atom.
0: Wow. And when do Superman and Batman officially become members in this weird in, in that particular continuity? I,
1: I think, I might be wrong on this, but I think they're, they're after the Atom. I think they're eight and nine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, Technically then Ray should have se- seniority <laughs> <laughs> you would think <laughs> you would think um but Jean uh makes his peace with Oracle and um apologizes for judging her so harshly um he does raise a you know a fairly a fairly good point, which does come up often in superhero comics where if you live in a world where you have in you know crazy scientists and impossible technology and alien rings and everything uh maybe they could use some of that tech to basically make her like a prosthetic legs or something that would allow her to walk again
1: yeah but she says she's not interested in that in basically being a cyborg and jean says well do you miss your mobility and she says, well, yeah, more more than I can really say. And I dream of the medical breakthroughs that might someday restore it. But I've also worked hard to treat what happened as to me as an opportunity. And I concentrate on the good I can do now that I've been forced to exercise my mind.
0: Yeah, and kind of bringing it all to uh, a close, um, as Oracle delivers her kind of final thoughts... Um, she basically says that, you know, sometimes the only comfort comes from believing that there is no chance, And we hear her words as we see Batman, uh, scanning in a, in a graveyard, uh, you know, the classic Batman, uh, in front of a full moon, which, you know, he always takes the time to position himself with some bats and behind him as
1: well. He wait, waits for them with to fly some bat- past.
0: you got to wait for some, some bats and a few kind of artful clouds. And, uh, we see, and she says, "Whatever happens in this world happens for a reason." And the final shot is of the bat silhouette kind of stretching across uh, the grave of um, Thomas and Martha Wayne. The end. There it is. And there it is. Well, PJ, there we go. The the second Mark Wade issue. Uh, the the conclusion of this little two-parter. What, what do you think? What are you, What do you? What are your thoughts? It's an oddly structured
1: story, isn't it? It's it, it almost it, it feels like <laughs> two two one part stories that tell the same story because they both sort of have the have a start that they sort of start slowly, build up to a climax, and then everything's. Sorted. It's just that at the end of the first part, it's not as sorted as they thought it was, and it all so you almost resets and starts again with another slower beginning, builds to a climax, and fix everything. So it's 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 an oddly structured story, but I I do really really like it though. I think it's great.
0: Well, I, I have to say, and I, and again, I there there's, there are things to like here. I don't want to be too kind of negative, but I have to say that like I don't think this issue w- works as well as it could do for me. Which I think is is perhaps the most kind of you know diplomatic way of way of putting it. Um, you know, like I said, I think I said last issue, but coming from big, I am a big fan of Mark Waig's writing, but coming from like the Morrison brand of of weirdness and an inventiveness, to 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 the last issue was a little kind of jarring. I didn't. It wasn't bad. It was just different. But I do feel that this is the weaker of the two issues and i think mostly because of some of those curious story structure kind of things because you know i think i think um stuff with the atom is fun uh you know i think uh, there are some fun moments but i don't think it connects i don't think it flows very well this issue personally. i personally yeah i i
1: would agree i think it is the weaker of the two parts of this story i, I think it is a pacing issue I've, I think maybe the story needed a little bit more space because things happen very quickly, almost to the point where you could get whiplash just from going mm. from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, the elements are there, and I, I love all the individual elements. As you say, the atom sequence, I love the that moment when the JLA goes subatomic and are trying to reconnect these photons what, being juxtaposed with a fairly mundane setting of oracle's apartment that's just filled with terror because of who's coming to the door and there's the the differences between those two the wild crazy subatomic realm and then just an apartment and a hallway being juxtaposed with each other like that I really enjoy and I think there's some great character beats in here for jean and oracle but yeah I think maybe it did need a little more space to breathe
0: I think um there's something that kind of, that always comes to mind. I, I think it, it's it's, uh, it's particularly hard when you're writing a, a large team book, when you've got like a big cast of characters to deal with. And um, this is going to be weird, but my brain always goes back to, uh, did you watch uh, CSI back in the day? Not really. Right, okay. I've, I've seen the I... odd
1: episode, but I, I never sort of watched it religiously
0: or anything. Okay, well, there's there's method to my madness here because I, I used to watch uh, CSI on Channel 5 back in the day. So, hi, everyone. nostalgic in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, Channel 5, the fifth of five channels in the UK, <laughs> mostly showed a lot of American reruns and it showed a ton of the CSI franchise, which were pretty big. They came, became very popular over here. And due to the rising popularity of CSI... Quentin Tarantino came along to direct a two-parter episode because it was like a cultural phenomena. People were going mad for CSI. Okay. And in this very special kind of movie-esque two-parter, which Quentin Tarantino wrote and directed because he was such a fan of the show, the stakes were upped. It was, it was all very kind of high stakes and everything. But I always remember at the time, it was weird because there was a lot of characters like standing around doing nothing in a way because it was clearly like Tarantino was a big fan of these characters and there was a a relatively large cask of characters but because of like the pacing and because you didn't have like a B plot, a C plot, A plot sort of thing you just have this one kind of major plot The bit where a character is meant to be doing like a montage of kind of like science-y investigations to like sample some blood or something. All the other characters would just be kind of standing behind them, kind of watching. (laughs) And I always think about that even now as like a a lesson for storytelling. Because it's very much like this character is doing something very important, which is crucial to the plot. And also we're here. You know what I mean? And I, I, I feel this a little bit in this issue, because it's kind of like, Jean is quite a driver of the plot, Oracle's doing some stuff, but she's separated, Ray Palmer's a big driver at the end, but I, I feel there's not a massive amount for the rest of the team to do, really? I, does that make
1: sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I get what you mean. I think Wally and Kyle both get a moment or two here and there, but it does feel like Superman doesn't seem to have much to do in this issue, or Wonder Woman, which you know Hippolyta. I feel like is underused for her entire tenure on the team. But mm. but yeah, I would agree. I think certainly it's it's a genre and Oracle storyline, and then as you say, the Atom at the end.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. Um, now I, I know I know just just another kind of conversation point, but I know I've I've said a lot that I commented a lot on Porter's artwork changing over time Mm. and i think this is quite a a a kind of a good example of that because there, there are a few panels where um the characters look a little soft if that makes sense yes like a couple of the poses are maybe like slightly off um and again, I'm sorry. This probably sounds like I'm being very critical and I don't mean to be because Howard Porter is a in- infinitely more talented <laughs> creator than I am. Um, but I think it's interesting that like you look at the panel where Ray is coming out the phone. That is an incredibly detailed panel. Mm. Like there's a lot. That's a, that's a killer panel. That's like, um, that reminds me of like Porter from er- a lot earlier in the series. And then I say you couple that from like Oh, just three pages earlier, where there's there's a close up of Oracle's face, which is a little kind of off, sort of thing. And I don't know. I I, I just wonder, like at this point, whether you know Porter was, un- I mean, God, like the pressure of like keeping up to like drawing a, a big series like this with so many characters. I wonder if he was getting a little tired in places. Well, he's he's not here
1: for our next two issues. Again, we've got another guest stint from Arnie Jorgensen for the next two issues. So that's entirely possible.
0: Yeah. I, and also, I just wonder whether I feel the the artwork kind of really comes alive when they go into the subatomic realm. And I wonder whether Porter maybe felt a little more kind of energized by those scenes than he did. Maybe say there, there are quite a few scenes where the League are kind of standing around and talking. And I wonder whether, you know, it was kind of like a bit more entertaining to draw for him when there was a bit more pizzazz in the scene.
1: Yeah, possibly. I think the one thing I do absolutely love in this issue, particularly though, is whenever Porter draw- is drawing electric blue Superman. For some reason, <laughs> he just really pops in this issue. Yes. I, don't, I think it's the Porter's pencils working in tandem with the inks and the colours, but I think his, the, the the poses, the shape of the suit and the, the shade of blue they use for the suit as well, just all <laughs> really work. I love it. I think it's absolutely stunning in this issue in particular which is why I think it's a shame Superman is slightly in the background in this issue and you know it's a team book there are going to be stories where some characters fade into the background a bit and others take more prominence but for me in terms of the the shape and colour of Superman's energy look this is Mm. top notch stuff I mean don't get me wrong it's no Superman Putting the moon back into <laughs> orbit and wrestling an angel on his own, but just just in in the stiller moments, the way he's drawn, oh it's beautiful.
0: There are many tremendous Howard Porter moments in this series, and and but just zeroing zeroing in on Electric Blue Superman alone. I mean, yeah, the heaven on earth stuff, like him putting the moon back into orbit. Wrestling an angel. I don't think Electric Blue Superman has ever looked better no. than in those kind of moments. That that is just astounding. Those sequences are him at his most dynamic and
1: and most exciting. Here, it just looks good. That's in in a calmer way, if that makes sense.
0: We should I mean, should we take a moment to, um, you know, this is almost like in in memoriam of Electric Blue Superman because. This is this is our last moment with the character. It is really. from,
1: I mean, look, next issue, Big Blue's back, and you know,
0: I'm in two minds about that. If I'm honest, well, well let me let me think about it then. So I've got my spreadsheet open here. Uh, in the first storyline, so in kind of New World Order, um, it's you know, classic Superman. Mm-hmm. Then from issue five, Woman of Tomorrow, we've got Electric Blue Superman. So I'm kind of saying that from May 1997 to May 1998, you get exactly a year of Electric yeah. Blue Superman. That would be right, yeah. The... And and I'm guessing that you know perfectly correlates with um, his comic appearances, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so was it really... Was Electric Blue Superman really only a thing for like a year yeah.
1: or so? Yeah, it really was. It was It was all one of those things that they did to, that made headlines. You know, after the death of Superman, every year they were finding something they could do for Superman that would be that big. And this was probably the next biggest change. Um, but as with Death of Superman, it was always ever only going to be a temporary thing. They were never going to do that permanently because there would be outrage among, you know, the more narrow-minded folks that aren't you and me who can embrace and accept change for the better.
0: It is, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Because, yeah, this kind of ties a little bit into um, what we are talking about at the start and how, say, you know, the comics, you know, current comics, you know, should they try and reflect what's in the movies or or what's more kind of culturally recognisable. Because, I, you know, I fully appreciate that if, like... Um, you know, Superman is, is, a, is a globally recognised thing. You know, he's, he's a piece of the world's cultural heritage, really. Everybody pretty much knows who Superman is, even if you've never read a comic. Mm. So as much as you want to, like, do interesting things in the comic and try and take it in new directions, which gives us wonderful things like Electric Blue Superman, if somebody goes oh i kind of know superman he was in those movies wasn't he i want to check out a superman comic some people might go what the hell is this yeah. why why is he why is he this why is he electric blue it's got to be a it's got to be a nightmare you've got to always be kind of straining at the limits of wanting i don't know wanting to be creative but also having to be a recognizable brand
1: yeah and you know you have to imagine if sales on the Superman books had suddenly gone up, which they probably did for the first couple of issues of it, but if they then stayed at that level, then they would have kept him this way for longer. But you, it probably tapered off, went back down to normal, or even below normal, until then, what's the next big thing we can do? We'll turn him back. That'll get... Sale. And then probably again, go, oh, I want to see how they're bringing back classic Superman, so sales go up again. And, you know... Comics are a creative medium. You can do all sorts of fun and interesting things with them and tell wonderful stories. But at the end of the day, they're also a business.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. And and you know, it's like if ugh, can you think of, no other medium, no other medium exists in which a character has continuously been in in publication, like monthly publication for like eighty years, ninety years now, even or yeah. whatever. Like it's it's insane. Like we're coming up on. The point where we can say there have been a hundred years of Superman. Oh my God. Like that's, that's insane. Yeah, that's we're, absolutely insane.
1: We're not that far off there, are we? 2039 will be Superman's hundredth anniversary.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not miles away. No. You know, <laughs> Time
1: passes to, so quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and that's mad. Like, and you know, how, how can a character constantly change while remaining the same? It's, it's, it's insane. Um, But what, I mean, what was the next big thing with Superman, do you think? Like, was was Electric Blue Superman kind of the death knell of big character reinventions?
1: Well, I think...
0: Was it the the new 52? No, it would have been before that. What you need to
1: realise as well with Superman is that at this point on his own titles, he still had the same creative teams that had pretty much been there for almost a decade at this point. Dan Jurgens, Louise Simonson, Walter bogdanove all these names who do great things with the character but have been on the books for a very, very long time. Mm. And the next big shake-up is basically when all those people leave at once, DC just get rid of them and bring in completely new creative teams, and that's when you get, like, Jeff Loeb, Mark Miller, Ed McGuinness all come in to do the bold new era of Superman. Um... Which, for again, for the first few months does feel quite different. You're like, ooh, this is interesting. And then pretty much just settles back into routine. And then you get the <laughs> Our Worlds at War crossover. Uh, so then I guess the next big change for Superman is that the yellow on the diamond became black for a while.
0: Oh, was that... Oh, I'm going to say something stupid now. Was that? That's not the Imperiax War, yeah. is it? Yeah, it is. Ah, there we go, there we go. Yeah, still got it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that, that, that was also kind of that was post Kingdom Come, wasn't it? Where hmm. they'd shown that you could do things with the S logo a bit, and I, I, I maybe I've got that wrong, but I'd always felt that like the choice to give Superman the kind of black S, which I've, I think the rationale being was it was in honor of those who died. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of not inspired as such, but inf- I don't know. Kind of- they've shown it could be done with Kingdom Come, if that makes sense. It was a direct reference
1: to Kingdom Come. It was it was a s- showing Superman moving more towards being the figure he is in Kingdom Come. They they outright said that. Oh right, okay, wow,
0: yeah. Guess I, w- I wasn't
1: <laughs> completely barking up the wrong tree then. No, not at all, not at all. And then, but I would say there've been lots of. Uh, attempts to make changes with superman but nothing as big as the death of superman and then transformed and i know more recently in the comics he's revealed himself to be clark kent to the world in in the bendis run but i haven't read how that finished playing out i i read the issue where he outed himself but i haven't gone any further than that, so i don't know if that's still the status quo or if a year later that went back in the box as well
0: yeah i don't know I, i kind of feel the same way about that as i do about um when, when Spider-Man did it, you know, you're like, this will not last. Like, this this cannot last. As much as every kind of status quo, you know, when a character dies, you always kind of feel like, ah, yeah, I know they'll be back. But with those two, I'm like, oh, yeah, that that won't keep... Do you know what?
1: They're diff- <laughs> there's, there's a difference, though. I've, with Spider-Man, I wished they'd kept that. I think there's really interesting stories there with Peter Parker's identity being public to be had. With hmm. Superman... I'd rather have him have the secret identity and I wanted them to put it back and I didn't want them to do it because it just feels like with Superman, the Clark Kent Superman thing is is such a big part of who that character is. And yeah, I, I think with Superman it's more interesting for him to have the secret identity. Spider-Man, it's part of who he is but I feel like because there's not huge differences between Peter Parker and Spider-Man that it's it's you can do more interesting things with revealing his identity and and making that the status quo
0: that's actually a very good point pj because um i always think one of the most profound things that morrison ever said is that the um the biggest tragedy of superman is that um clark kent never got a life really that uh you know superman is as much a character as you know clumsy bumbling clark kent mm. is i always liked kind of morrison's take that there's a third person in there the true clark the true superman who is just a uh, as i think he said like a good-looking kid from kansas who um hates bullies you know yeah. and, it, and and is like kind of confident and and self-contained and yeah he kind of split himself really to be to be these other people
1: yeah exactly and I wonder if any of that sort of came in with the Clark Kent revealing his identity to the world thing as I say I haven't read much beyond that. I think I'd be curious to go back and check it out at some point but I don't know it just it doesn't it just feels to me just like death of Superman Superman transformed like something that's just gonna be done temporarily and then get put away and be looked at back on as a nice curio down the line somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, to well, here's here's to you, Electric Blue Superman. I guess um, we hardly knew you. It
1: is it is one of those things I find strange though that people remember the death of Superman very fondly. It's it's a popular book. It's often reprinted. The transformed era, people don't think of that fondly. And if you're just reading the Superman books, I get that. I know recently DC started trying to recollect that era, and they put out Volume 1, and then none of the other volumes appeared because Volume 1 didn't sell very well. And it's just not something people have that much interest in these days, I
0: don't think. It sort of failed a bit. but it, Well, surely part of that is is what you were saying about how, you know, some of the most inventive stuff with the character was happening in the pages of JLA. Exactly. Like Morrison was putting the work in, basically, to make it interesting.
1: Exactly, and that's a shame. I think that Morrison showed... There was a lot you could do with that as an idea. Electric Superman. Superman having these new powers. But it sort of became a wasted opportunity and now it's these days, it's almost just a footnote in the history of Superman. It was only around for one year. It occasionally gets referenced. Uh, I think he has a brief cameo. Yeah, there's a brief moment in JLA Avengers where he's reverted, isn't it? Isn't there? (laughs) Tiny, yeah. One panel. One panel, yeah. Um... I think Livewire showed up in the Electric Blue Superman suit, but that's about it. Doesn't really get. It might have even after Final Crisis. Sorry, no Flashpoint in the New Fifty Two. I suspect it's probably been wiped from continuity.
0: So it's ripe for a comeback. Is what well, you're saying? Well,
1: I say that, but my my actual understanding is is after. New 52 starts, and you get Morrison introducing the New 52 Superman. After a certain point in time, and I I haven't read these issues. I'm not 100% sure if I've got this right. But after a certain point, Dan Juergens brought back pre-Flashpoint Superman and Lois and their son. Yeah. And New 52 Superman dies, and it's now actually pre-Flashpoint Superman running around in the DC universe as the main superman so it would actually still be this superman who was electric blue superman but in a world Just, where that never happened to superman because that's not part of superman's history anymore
0: it is weird because i i know we joke about it a lot about you know our love for electric blue superman but i i know i, I know people uh, and I, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion i think there are a lot of people who hate the costume yeah you know who, who who think it's an awful costume um i i unironically think it's a very good costume i, I obviously it, it's it's very informed by 90s character design uh but I really like it unironically i think it is a very Interesting costume. I think it's quite striking. I think there's, you know,
1: we we always talk about how Electric Superman is the best Superman. I'm going to go on the record here and say I don't actually think that. I do love classic (laughs) Superman the most. Give me the red cape. But I do, I have a real soft spot for Electric Blue Superman and I think it's a great costume because of JLA. But I think it would be looked at more fondly if it. Wasn't Superman? It's the emotional attachment people have to the blue costume with mm. the red cape and the red trunks and the red and yellow S. That messing with that, you're asking for trouble. Look at when they rebooted New Fifty Two; they took away the pants, and then Action Comics One Thousand.
0: What's the big deal? We're bringing back the pants. It's it's so it's so weird, isn't it? I I, I can't remember who the artist was, but um. I, uh, quite 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 a big big name, but they said. I remember reading something interesting where they said they were having they had real difficulty drawing uh, the new Fifty Two Superman. You know, like every time they tried, they they found it difficult. They felt it just it wasn't right. They couldn't quite get the character down. Now, which down.
1: which version the the later costume version or the
0: early Morrison version, where it's jeans, t shirt, and cape? Uh no. So the um the the present day, kind right? Of. Uh, so, so yeah, no, no red pants, high collar. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, they said the revelation of how to draw him only came. It's a terrible anecdotes. I can't remember any of the people involved. When a fellow artist said to them, "The reason you're struggling is you're trying to draw Superman. Don't draw Superman. This is a completely different character." And then they suddenly got it. Ah. Uh. Yeah, that just makes me not like the design. But that was the problem they said, because they kept trying to do, like, Superman with the chin, you know? Yeah. Like, just big old Clark Kent, where really, like, New 52 Superman it, it does look like a completely different character. Like, he's, he's, you know, more conventionally handsome, got, like, a slimmer face, yeah. you know, more modern haircut, He's slightly lighter build... And, yeah, that costume, like, he—it it is a... Yeah, it's just... I I found that interesting, like, just to think that psychologically the way to grasp that character is to think of him as a completely different person.
1: I didn't like New 52 Superman when I read things that he was in. He just... The the character didn't feel like Superman to me. There was too much arrogance to him, and um, I don't particularly like the costume. It didn't... Superman's costume because it had lasted as long as it did, feels timeless. That update felt very of its time and like something that would look weird a few years down the line. And I think this is the thing we're trying to change Superman's costume. It's why nothing ever sticks. It's why, first of all, you have to have a reason to do it beyond I want to try and make him look cool. Mm. And one of my issues with the Zack Snyder's version of Justice League is he puts Superman in a black suit because he thinks it looks cool. There's no reason for it in the story. And I'm like, if you had a reason, I would accept it. But you don't. You just wanted to have Superman in black because you think it's dark and edgy.
0: And Yeah, uh, and, that's, and that's the same thinking that, that gave us, you know, the X-Men all wearing leather yeah. in the movies. You know, it was almost like a kind of, I feel like a slight shame that it's a comic, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it is weird, isn't it? Because when you hear the 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 kind of logical loops that people will tie themselves in to explain why he doesn't need to have red underwear, you know, like as if as if that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Like everything else about the costume is perfectly logical, but he can't have red underwear outside his costume. That's ridiculous. And I'm like. If you're really that obsessed over his underwear, I feel I feel you're kind of missing the point <laughs> somewhat of the character. Like he's wearing a wongzi and he's got a cape. Like it's not meant to be. Yeah. You know the pinnacle of fashion.
1: That's it. There's there's all these people going. Well, that wouldn't work. And I'm
0: sorry. Watch those Christopher Reeve movies again. That works. Oh god, yeah. And I I don't want to be you know and not to be the guy who's like oh you know we have to venerate those movies because oh no the third and fourth you know, ones like, are awful. Don't get... <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but but it but it's like. If you see, there's there's some um, behind the scenes footage. I want to say they're black and white, cam- uh, black and white, very simple kind of handheld camera photos of Chris Christopher Reeve on set in the costume, chatting to crew members. And I've never seen a better Superman in my life. <laughs> like it, just in those off moments where it's like he was born to wear yeah. the costume. Yeah. And somehow seeing these like slightly unprofessional black and white photos. Just makes it seem all the more real, in a way. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know exactly what
0: you mean. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting what you were saying about like the New 52 costume looking very of the moment. I guess it could be argued that that's what Electric Blue Superman was as well. Like Electric Blue Superman was a very 90s interpretation of the character. Yeah. And the New 52 was a very mid to late 2000s interpretation of the character
1: yeah and would i have the fondness for electric blue superman and even just the look had it not been for how much i love what morrison does with him in jla probably not
0: no no it's no and i think it's entirely down to to morrison's take on jla like i mean when i read you know as a kid when i read um superman giving the moon its own magnetic poles you know to put it back into orbit that's incredible (laughs) <laughs> you know when um you know when Jean and and superman are, are boosting a boosting a, a massive rock into into orbit always putting things into and out of orbit actually electrically <laughs> superman <laughs> that's now his I've thing. Said it out loud you know that was so cool so cool just these kind of amazing mind bending moments like i i i love the idea of an energy based superman mm. it was it was so creative yeah and in the right hands it could have
1: been something great it just Morrison's apparently were those hands and no one else's were
0: and also I mean I'm I'm being very petty about the New 52 but like I think it's quite hard to improve upon perfection and when you look at someone like the Flash's costume which I think is pretty much perfection like it's simple, it's clean mm. it's elegant and then you get like the New 52 and they're just adding like weird little panels and stripes and they give them like a weird little chin strap and I'm like you you have to in it. You feel you have to reinvent it every time, but every invention is taking you further and further away from what made the original so iconic.
1: I feel like the certainly the new fifty two costumes for most of the characters was a case of gilding the lily to try and make them their own. They're adding too much detail to them. I think the mm. Green Lantern Hal Jordan's outfit, which had, pretty much remained consistent from the start, suddenly had all these extra lines and slight armoured feel to it. And, you know, they, they kept putting armour on characters. Superman
0: doesn't <laughs> need armour, you know? The Ultimates has a lot to answer. For. It really does. Yeah, like Brian Hitch, you know, did a wonderful job. I, I think few people could have transformed superhero comics, uh, superhero costumes into the real world quite the way he did. However, it did mean that for the following 20 years, everyone would just be copying that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't like it as much anymore, but back in the day I was a big Ultimates fan. But even back then, when that sort of style of doing a costume suddenly appeared in the mainstream Avengers book, and you had Carol Danvers and Scott Lang wearing very much Ultimates-inspired costumes that looked bland and lacked imagination to me, I was I even back then. I was like, "No, this is this is the Ultimates, and it should stay in the Ultimates.
0: This is not what I
1: want from Avengers."
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm hundred percent with you. I mean, um, you know, w- we can agree that when you try and put these things onto the ca- you know, into the real world on actors in movies, things work differently. Yeah, you know, fabric doesn't quite work the same way. I mean, Captain Captain America's costume in the first Avengers movie, uh, it's not great. It looks a bit like pajamas. Yeah, you know they realized they had to add more texture, make it more like armor, add straps and stuff. Yeah. That's fine. That's on an actor in the real world. It, it, you know, it doesn't quite have. Comics are comics. They're not. They're not the real world. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, you choo- know, this I is the world we believe- live in now. <laughs> I, I choose to believe if I can believe that a guy can run at the speed of light around the planet. I can choose to believe that there is an amazing metamaterial that exists in that world that fits the body perfectly, doesn't leave creases, doesn't leave weird stretch marks. Like I, this is this is just I am willing to believe that. <laughs> I don't have to see the seams, PJ. That's all
1: I'm saying. I don't know if you've watched. Have you watched the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Uh, I haven't
0: yet, actually. No. Okay. I, I don't have. I don't have one of those Disney Pluses that everyone's talking okay.
1: about. Okay. They've done a the. the, the they've just released the behind the scenes, like an hour long making of documentary of it, where they showcase quite an interesting thing, which is the Falcon's costume at the end. They have added CGI to, because costumes like that don't exist in the real world. So there's moments where he moves and the mask sort of, won't move with his neck in the right way, so they've had to CGI that out and CGI away oh, like weird. zips and seams just so that you can't really see how he put it on to make it a superhero costume rather than a real world outfit.
0: I, it, yeah, it's a fair point because I'd, I'd love to believe that, um, the kind of costume the 90s Cyclops costume, yeah, uh, from the X Men, I'd, I'd love to believe that that could work in the real world, nope. but I the reality is, if you put a body sock on without the head to kind of keep it in place, like it's just going to snap down to his neck, basically, yep. isn't it? It's just, it's not going to stay in place. Oh no, I'm about to be jumped on by a cat, PJ. This is, sorry, breaking news and being attacked by a cat. There we go. Scale go, go down. Good boy, good boy. We're coming to the end. It's fine. <laughs> um, but PJ, um, if, if we think that's been a fitting eulogy to Electric Blue Superman, uh, is there much more to say on this issue? Um, no. I mean, I think we've covered a lot.
1: You know, I enjoyed it. I I do like that two-parter. I think, as we've said, part one is the stronger of the two, but overall it's it's a fun little story. And uh, Mark waits back for the next one too.
0: Yes, indeed. And um, I'm just going to say, in case you hear any weird kind of audio, the cat has now joined me on the table Uh, he's not far from the mic so this could be a sign that uh, we should we should wrap this up Um, uh, PJ it's been a pleasure as always Um, uh, I guess we should say uh, a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our fantastic theme tune Justice And uh, if you enjoy hearing PJ and I and uh, the occasional cat... Hello, Bradley. Yes, there you go, Yeah, you kick the mic. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, If if you enjoy hearing us talk, uh, you can find us on social media. Our uh, details are in the episode description below. Um, PJ is there anything you want to shout about anything you want to draw some attention to yeah my other podcast
1: you can you can find me on The Measure of a Fan a Star Trek podcast in which myself and a Star Trek nerd and a Star Trek noob watch all of Star Trek chronologically available where you get all good
0: and bad podcasts and sorry there's literally a cat's tail on the microphone here. <laughs> and uh, I would say that um, if, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Big Punch Studios of which I am uh, one of, a member of uh, we're about to bring out uh, the first big expansion to our card game Sandwich Masters, uh, which uh, will be coming out mid-May on Kickstarter. So that's what. Uh, so keep 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 your eyes peeled. I basically. will be backing that. You're a, you're a saint, PJ. You're a you're a gentleman and a, and an officer and all those things. Sandwich
1: Masters is a genuinely fun card game, folks. If you don't already own a copy, please go get one. It's really good.
0: Oh well, well. Thank you, PJ. Uh, I mean, I mean, sorry. Thank you, stranger, who I've never met before. Uh, uh, PJ, um, I'm assuming that's your name. Um, would you could you do as the honours? Could you sign us off in your own unique fashion? R.I.P. Electric Blue Superman, gone too soon.